Well, but but hold on, hold on. Before we start just like making failure this like on or off thing, this binary thing. Yeah, no, give it to me. Give it to me. Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show. We're like the brotherhood without banners of online business. We serve the realm of earnest entrepreneurs seeking to earn their livelihood building something that they care about. Your hosts are Corbett Barr. If we were Radiohead albums, he'd be Pablo Honey. Solid, lively, first. Caleb Logic, he'd be Kid A, the youngest, huge commercial success. And then me, Chase Reeves. I'd be okay, computer, because I often ask my computer, are you okay? And also because one of my top five songs of all time is on this album. Can you guess which one? The whole month of January, folks, we've put together a series of podcasts to help you think through making your first product, okay? We've heard from loads of successful guests about how they made their first products, and this is the final episode in that series where we answer the one question we've omitted up to now. But what if I fail? In the first half, you'll hear from a couple successful founders, just like we have in the last few episodes, telling their first product stories. And in the second half, Corbett, Caleb, and I will walk you through some built-in sabotaging expectations that we all kind of have and how to rearrange how you think about failure so you can ultimately make a much more successful product. So without any further ado, let's get into our first guest. Here's Brett Kelly. Founder and creator of Evernote Essentials, he literally wrote the book on Evernote, and it was so good that Evernote actually hired him. Listen to the point he makes about selling. It's a hard-earned insight from an artsy-fartsy type like Brett and myself. Brett Kelly, here's my question to you. Um, what uh, Was Evernote Essentials, first of all, was Evernote Essentials your first product that you made? Yes, it was. So what was it like making it? Oh boy. Uh, it was definitely roller coaster, be a cliche way to put it. Uh, yeah, at first it was what I think is it's sort of endemic in most products. It's like you, you have the idea and you just like run full speed into it without really knowing how you're going to get to the end, but you're so excited to dig into it that you just start grabbing at it and tearing at it and just yeah. doing what in your mind feels like work or what feels like progress. And after, you know, you do that for a little while, the, you know, the honeymoon period starts to wear off and then you get to the point where you're like, boy, I'm uh, I kind of hope I'd be done with this by now. Or yeah. alternately, like I didn't realize I'd have to do all this other crap that I don't like doing, like reading your thing over and over and over and over and over again and like editing it and revising it and getting feedback and then more like it, at some point, it, I'm not saying that the thing becomes a pain in the ass, although it definitely feels that way at that point. Yeah. Uh, Seth Godin's uh, dip concept applies mm-hmm. pretty pretty well here, I think, because you know, like you have to get through that part where it's like, okay, well, then the, the, when the, the sucky part is like the that's the vetting process built into product creation. I think is if you can get through that, because once you get up past that, then it's like, okay, well, now we're going to deal with the arguably more fun parts of like planning a launch and sales strategy and marketing and things like that. And then you get to actually selling it. But right there in the middle is that, that slog of just finishing it, you know, and, or, or not or finishing it without 
compromising your original idea of what it, how excellent it should be. So what, I mean, if you could go back and talk to Brett Kelly as he's just starting, what would you tell to him to, to make it easier for him to push through that dip? I would say, I actually thought a good deal about this. I would tell old me, new, younger me, younger me, um, <laughs> to plan more, not like create a rigid schedule necessarily, but instead of just, cause what we do is we sit down and we, when you, when you get to, if you're, if you're writing, which is sort of what I do. So that's how I think of it. But if you're writing and you get to a part where like, well, this paragraph sucks. And I don't like the way this sounds. I want, I want to reward it, but my, my brain just isn't letting me do that right now. For some reason, I just can't make the words come out. Yeah. So I'm going to go write this other chapter about how to like pet a tiger. And that sounds like a blast. So I'm going to go do that. <laughs> yeah. And before you know it, you've got three dozen little paragraphs that suck that you have to reward at the end. So my advice to old younger me would be pepper the fun throughout the thing to the extent that you can in the planning part at the beginning. In other words, like write a chapter or record a, you know, a segment or whatever. Um, and make sure that it is as close to perfect as you can make it without making it well, without leaving room to change it later if you want to, but like, don't leave all the crap in there and just worry about that later. Like get it to where it's good and then go to the next thing. Mm. Because if you can sort of alternate between exciting, engaging work and the, the grunt stuff that you hate doing, you'll be more likely to come out of it at the end, A, having accomplished a lot of the grunt crap you didn't like to do, but you also will have maintained a more even keel emotionally throughout the experience. And you'll be more likely to ship the thing sort of on schedule. Because if you do it the way I did it, the stupid way, then you're going to, at least for me, like there was a you know two and a half, three month period where I didn't look at my product at all. Mm because it made me so angry and I hated every, I hated thinking about it yeah. because it just represented this, this thing that had beaten me. <laughs> so like if you can organize the, you know, the work, spread the work out such that you don't have to have that big, horrible thing in the middle. I mean, you probably will anyway, but like just to diminish the degree to which it kicks your ass. Like that's, yeah. that'd be my advice to my that's interesting. Me. And now what about the, the, the spread sort of between the making of the thing and then the, like the marketing and selling of the thing. Were you spending a lot of time in the beginning thinking about selling this and connecting it to the audience and getting it to more eyeballs? Or were you just focused on the making it? I was just focused on the making it, partly because I had never, like you said, never made anything before or never yeah. sold anything before. So I didn't really know anything about that part of it. Um, and I had read blogs and things that talked about how to sell products online, how to market them and things like that. But yeah. I never really did much of that at all. Um, now for future things, I certainly will cause I need to see the value in it now, yeah. but it was mostly just, well, I mean, I was young and stupid or, and I just sort of believed that, well, if the thing is good and if I can get some friends to talk about it, like that will be enough to get it off the ground. And it turned out that worked, but that's by no means a typical result, I, I would say. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't. But that does not mean for a second that you shouldn't. You, you being the person listening, <laughs> yeah. So, like going back, would you have encouraged yourself to maybe pay a little more of attention? And if so, like how? In what ways? Um, I probably would have. Yes, I would have definitely said to pay more attention to it mm. back back then. Um, although, uh, if I okay, well, if I were to, if I were talking to me, whatever, four years ago, I would say, okay, well, what you need to do 
Because, I mean, I already had an audience, sort of. Like, I had a few hundred people who followed me on Twitter or my blog and stuff. It wasn't much, but it was something. Um, but, okay, well, why don't we start, start writing stuff that relates to this thing that I'm going to be selling, which sounds like, you know, we've all read Copy Blogger and this is exactly what they say. Yeah. But that's probably because it's true. But, um, you know, just grooming, pre, pre-qualifying your, your reader, I guess, mm-hmm. or your audience. Because um, if you start writing about Evernote, for example over and over, you know, over, not repeatedly, but regularly. And people start going, man, you know what? Like this Evernote crap, I don't, I don't like Evernote. I'm not going to use it. So I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, I'll check in on this guy once in a while, but I'm not going to read his stuff as regularly as I did. Mm -hmm. Then, okay. And you've now, (laughs) at least for the short term, you've, you know, waved off a a future non-customer of yours. So, you know, that's that. But I don't know, just like, you know, build the email list. Um, Think about how to, like, there are plenty of, resources within fizzle and without fizzle about how to launch a product um and just you know read through those and get an idea for okay well when should i start talking about it like what should i say how can i entice people to get interested in buying it how can i do the launch itself you know all those things that i paid well i read like i said ample of blog posts and i did like two things right and the rest i totally screwed up but i had like a landing page that was totally you know decorated with all the site navigation to go to all the other pages and it was just the, the copy I wrote, which <laughs> it was awful. But, you know, like, despite all the mistakes, it's not a, well, the formula can, the formula won't make you or break you. Like, I would keep that in mind, too. Because I, my, my launch was pretty great in when, I, in when I initially launched. And, you know, each subsequent update has been pretty good, too. And even though, like, I suck at literally all of it, like, it's still, the product was good and people were, enthusiastic about it so that helped now if i had gone and done the you know jeff walker something something and paid a bunch of money to learn exactly how to launch a thing and follow the recipe to the exact you know cross t dotted i would have gone better sure maybe but i don't know i i would have a hard time believing that because the the strength of the product is what's going to make it sell well not not the marketing Mm, i don't think i mean it's the combination of the two but i am sort of living proof that you can totally blow up marketing and still sell a good product. Um, you know, you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth. Like we're not, we don't come out of the womb sort of ready to hustle and sell to people. Right. right? So have you, do you have any words of advice for people who are like, I don't want to be all salesy or this, that, and the other. Sure. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, it's, it's a balance because it being all salesy sounds like a binary decision. sounds like, well, I can either be, Mr. Integrity or Mrs. Integrity, where all I do is, you know, I write a very short one paragraph description of my product and I put a nice button that does not, you know, there's no ambiguity in what I'm saying. Yeah. It's all like, I made this, this is what it costs. I think it's good. You should buy it. Yeah. You know, buy button mm-hmm. versus the 45,000 word sales letter, you know, extravaganza that is seemingly less, less, less popular now. But mm-hmm. anyway, like there's not one or the other. Like there are ways to encourage people to buy things that are not. You know, because the whole thing is like, you don't want to be disingenuous or you don't want to be perceived as being disingenuous mm-hmm. that I think, or just having no, you know, no soul, but disingenuous is a friendly way to put it. Yeah. And if you are afraid of coming off like that, then just, you know, don't like you re- have, have your best buddy read the thing you're writing or the thing or the sales letter for the thing you're selling. Be like, well, I don't know. You're kind of, mm-hmm. And so, you know, someone who is not involved in the process or pick someone who's really good at that stuff, who trusts you and you trust, be like, Hey, read this over real quick. Yeah. And see what, you know, because it's, 
as long as you are, you are comfortable showing that to your mother, you know, or whatever, some other person you love and respect, and they would feel like, yeah, okay, my, 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 my person wrote that. Then, okay. And you're another thing. I talk a lot. You're always going to annoy somebody. Always, 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 always. Okay. So do not try to please everyone. If you sell something on the internet, there's a certain number of people on the internet who think you are the devil. Irrespective of what you're selling, what you're what you're selling it for, or how good it is, they're always just going to think you're a douche. So, you know, just know this. This is a fact. <laughs> now, worrying about what those people think of you is a mistake. So, don't do it. It's hard. I'm totally super sensitive guy. When I find out someone thinks I'm a douche, I really just that makes me sad. But just get used to it because it will happen. Yeah, that's a good. Um, that's good. I like that. <laughs> Wor- worrying about what those people think about you is a mistake. Yeah, totally. That's a good one. All right. Well, I don't want to take any more of your time, Brett. So uh, thanks so much. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, Go to nerdgap.com. That's where my stuff lives. That's where the stuff lives. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, dude. Here's Tara Gentiles, business strategist and creator of the customer perspective process for building truly social business models. One great point to look for here is, is when she talks about the launch and the long tail. So Tara, uh, tell me about the first product that you created for your business and what that meant to you. Yeah, so the first product I created for my business, which is it's almost a little embarrassing to talk about it anymore, uh, <laughs> but it was called 52 Weeks of Blogging Your Passion. And I uh, created it while my predominant business, my main focus was a, a blog called Scouty Girl. Uh, and so I was blogging for a lot of creative people. I was uh, engaging a lot of creative people and I was teaching a lot of creative people about blogging and social media at the time. And uh, the, the question that I kept getting from people was, well, how do you come up with stuff to blog? How do I like not run out of content ideas? And I was, and you know, my thought about this was, this is, this is easy people. This is not the hard part of of doing this. Um, But it was, it was really kind of the point of frustration uh, that my audience had. Uh, So, so that was what, where the idea came from. It was a really simple kind of workbook thing where I, I gave some pretty basic explanations about um, you know best blogging practices and what's what and how to do this and that uh, and then the majority of the book was uh, a year's worth of weekly bro- blog prompts so I would suggest you know you blog about this about your creative bu- business you blog about that about your creative business um, and people would actually work through the book week by week by week and plot their their um, books out like that um, as for what it it meant to me in my business uh, at the time because I was in a a market in a niche where people were not creating digital products, it represented to me a a completely new way to make money uh, and really a completely new way to bring value into the market as well. Mm -hmm. Um, In my niche, most people were, uh, their only revenue stream really was advertising on their blogs. And while I was doing that and being successful with it, I, you know, it just didn't add up. There was going to be no way this was ever going to create the kind of income that I wanted 
to have. Um, and so, you know, moving into the product sphere allowed me to back away from advertising and focus more on creating a better blog, um, but then also creating more value for my readers through products like that. So it was it was a big shifting point uh, in, in my business. And um, was there, did this just sort of come out or was there any sort of delay in creating this product? How, how long and arduous was that process? Um, well, much like many of the things that I do, it was not a long, it was an art, it was perhaps an arduous process, but it was not a long process. Uh, it took, I think it was about two weeks from start to finish. So from idea to completion, um, I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I had no idea what a launch might look like. I had no idea really what a even what an ebook was quote unquote supposed to look like. Uh, so I bought pages, I wrote the thing, I formatted it as best I could, um, and, and just put it out. And I, I put it together in, you know, an hour or two of writing at Panera Bread every day for about two weeks. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So, and so that was it. And, and then launched it, I think the day after Christmas, which don't ever launch something the day after <laughs> Christmas. Uh, but, but, it was it was great, um, and and getting it out that quickly, I think for me at the time was exactly what I needed to do. Looking back on it, um, what did you learn from that first product, and uh, and how has that influenced the things that you're creating now? Uh, well, one of the things I learned from that first product um, was definitely the importance of, of an email list um, because the people who I could email about it, which, and I had I'd, I'd started a small email list at that point, um, but hadn't put a, a ton of effort into it. But the people I could email bought. Uh, and I realized just how difficult it was to get people to make purchases from, uh, you know, from blog posts or social media alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, even though I had a re, you know, I had a really engaged, uh, Facebook audience and a really engaged Twitter profile. And, you know, at the time I felt like my followings were pretty good there. People weren't buying from those platforms. They were buying when they found out about it in email. Uh, so right then it became obvious, okay, this is the goal for the next year. You will build your email list so that uh, this happens, uh, this, you know, so that you can take advantage of launching a product like this again. Um, I think the other thing I learned from this product, and, and I think almost I learned this more uh, as time went on and as I learned more and more about launching a product was that while a launch is awesome and important and something you should put time and effort and strategy into, uh, you also need to really put, I think, time and effort and energy into the long tail of a product. So this was a product that when I, when I launched it, when I put it out there, you know, maybe one or two people bought it the first day, maybe one or two people bought it the second day. And it was just super, super slow sales. There was no big deluge, you know, when I opened the digital gates to this product. Um, but over time, uh, the, the product got a reputation. Um, you know, more people wanted to talk to me about it. It got linked uh, to, to, from more and more and more blogs. And so, um, you know, that's something that I remind people all the time is that just because your launch doesn't go awesome or just because you don't even have, maybe you don't have time to do a full-blown launch, it doesn't mean that the product is going to be a flop. If you can make the product work for you over time instead of just right at the beginning when you, when you put it out the door. Tara, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you. I, 
just love that. Now, this is the last episode of the uh, of the product prod crust uh, uh, series of of prod prod crust. If you had to say, like, maybe what, like, say there was a six disc CD changer, guys, in your car, and you had six of these on there. What's one or two that might be like the one that gets one or two that might be played more than the others mm. of all these interviews? Yeah, they're also they're also different and. And they're also different in some ways and similar in others. I'm I'm always really enamored by the people like uh, Danielle Laporte, and there were a couple of others who seemed to really just know exactly what they were going to create. They blew through the creation process in three weeks, and that first thing that they created is still out there in the world, earning them yeah. a living. It's just it's just incredible. And I guess maybe they were further along in their, you know, business development cycle or personal development cycle or whatever you want to say. But um, those, those I'm always sort of jealous of because they seem to have everything figured out five or six years ago. You know, I think you're bang on in that they were like further along thing. I remember from Danielle Laporte's her was, she was like, I needed $30,000 to get out of the divorce thing, the situation that I was in. Yeah. Like I had some life requirement stuff. Now, like for me, as I grow up and I have like, like moments like that, not, not the same one, but like moments like that, where it's like, there's, there's like a $15,000 hospital bill or something like that. Right. Where you just like 10 years, five years ago, I would have been like, Oh my God, who has ever seen (laughs) $15,000? You know? But now it's like, Exactly, but you get to a point where it's like, no, this is what needs to happen. All right, I'm going to make it done by. I'm going to get it done by this point. And here's it, it's it's like a fight or flight response as as for me, I'm learning as I grow up, and it becomes more realistic this way or the other. The conviction that this thing needs to happen um, is like my skills haven't changed much. Just my understanding and my conviction about what does and doesn't need to happen has changed. And so I see that in people who are further along in your path. I think that's really an astute sort of observation, Corbett, because there really are differences. Like even in this episode where we just heard from um, you know, the, the two very different things between Brett Kelly and Tara Gentiles. Did you say Gentiles or Gentiles? What did you say? I wish I could tell you, and uh, I've I know Tara personally, and unfortunately, um, the pronunciation escapes me for some reason. On a last name basis, for some reason, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, but their stories are so different from one another, right? Brett is is making this big long product. And he he like is fizzling out the whole way through the middle of it. He's just hating his life. Yeah, he's sloshing through it. He said yeah. what, months that he just hated it, didn't want to look at it. Yeah, just like left it on his computer for somewhere. like yeah for months at a time. And, and compare that to Tara, who's like, yeah, I got it done in two weeks by spending an hour a day at a Panera Bread. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And I know because- Jenny Blake, who was one of our other interviews, she had her manuscript close to done, I believe, on her computer for a very long time. Yeah, before she ever tried to finish it yeah absolutely and that's the power of these i mean i have i have a book on my computer too i don't know if i told you guys that but i have a father apprentice book on my computer uh, uh it's a it's a book a whole book in oh, markdown files it's not your files. google calendar uh, book it's, it's not my google calendar Spouse book calendar. which i still want i still want to make uh, or i have i want someone to give to me cuz i don't know the tips and tricks but um <laughs> but i know that feeling of having a whole book on like it's so strange that this happens all the time like because i didn't set a deadline the thing even though it's mostly finished 
I never had a reason to completely finish it. You know what? Stephen Pressfield just wrote a blog post about this in this planning a year post that he had. I'll put it in the show notes. And he said, here's like four sticky points that you'll have in every pro- project. One's at the beginning, one's at act two, uh, something, something. And one, the other one was like when it's 99% done. There's a sticking point where almost all of his projects fall through the cracks. Because it did like the, once the pressure comes off that it's like mostly done, but you don't actually have the fire in you to like completely tidy everything up because there's no actual urgent deadline on the thing. Yeah. Um, so I could, I totally resonate with Brett on that point and would say, you know, I mean, this is our last, this is our last episode of the prod crust product series or product prod crust series. <laughs> Thank you. Change each time. Pro, prod crust. Yeah. We don't know if it's a U or an A or an O. It's maybe a new it's is it a zoom lock in there? So, Chris. It's Chirs. <laughs> so, um, but like the deadline. Oh my God. And this, this, like the, first of all, the deadline is so important. Give yourself one. And what so many people have said is pre sell the thing, announce it to your audience, start taking money from it, put your ass on the line, use Kickstarter or something like that, right? But you don't have to use Kickstarter. You could just say, like, because Kickstarter, you obviously have to get to a goal. Right. Whereas on your website, you could sell three and you'd still have to make that thing, you know, yep. um, rather than, you know, make your $2,000. But that, you know, that last that last push that I don't know if it's act three or act four or whatever in the Stephen Pressfield world, but mm-hmm. in the Jenny Blake world where you have 80 or 90 percent of the thing done and sitting on your computer or yep. the father apprentice world. That's when announcing it on your blog that it's going to launch a month from now or whatever. Yeah, that could be a big push. I know Danielle said that. She started thinking about her product, uh, I think, in December, or that's when she kind of committed to um, to making it. And she announced it in December and put a launch date of April. So she gave herself, you know, three or four months, and uh, and seems like you know she really put the pedal to the metal when she did that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Caleb, Corbett, I'm hearing you know you look back on all of these, and one that 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 kind of sticks in your in your mind is is Danielle. Caleb, what would you say? Uh, Brett sticks in my mind because I went through that process of hating what I was making when I yeah. made Make It Rain. Because yeah. it was this mm. thing that I had in my mind forever. I just kept putting it off, putting it off. I had even quit blogging about the topic. And I just, it was just like in my head. And I was like, I just have to do this or I'm going to regret never making it. Yeah. And so I just, you know, slogged through, released it so I could move on. So I could say, I did that thing and it's done now. And it's out Yeah, of my head. totally. You know, for me, I'm trying to think, for some reason, I can't get, I always end up like getting a hiccup on Derek's because he just kind of speaks in parables almost, you know, very intentional sort of, uh, and I love that bit in the beginning where he's like, hold on, is this, is this started? Hold he's on, like, I yeah, I got to get into Derek mode. <laughs> I got to get into Derek mode. I love that. But, um, but that sticks in me just the, the, the sense that, you ask your audience over time what they want, and if you can just give yourself a little bit of time to hear back from them, they're going to tell you what they want. You know, the same thing with Tara and her story today, where she said she was, people just kept asking, how do you come up with blog post yeah. ideas? And that gave her the idea for the product. You know, I, I, I just love that. And by the way, I just today wrote that, wrote the, the intro post to the first, uh, podcast in this series where i'm writing up this kind like trying to get my thoughts clear on why are we talking about products like why is this so important to us because the rest of the world isn't thinking uh in these sorts of terms do you guys have a good answer for that 
What? Why we're talking about products? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I see this story of we come from a culture of we built an audience online. We thought we would be creating you know, revenue from ads and stuff like that mm-hmm. just by having traffic. You know, the site used to be called Think Traffic, right? Traffic used to be the thing. And now it's not. You can have an absolutely profitable and successful business with a very small amount of people landing on your site, you know? And that's part of the thing that gets me so fired up about doing business online is that it's just, it, it can be more true, not less true, um, to, to who you are as a person and to what the world needs. So I just, I don't know. I just see this, it, the importance of this product stuff. It made such a difference in the way that I look at the world rather than, Oh God, I, I like all the stress and strain about making a blog post that a lot of people see. So what? Whereas you can make a lot of stress and strain. You could put a lot of stress and strain into making a thing. That now is a product and you can, you can sell it and people are gonna, people are, who are giving you the money for the thing are putting their ass on the line to fix that problem in their life. You know, when they do it, like, hey, here's how to handle calendar, whatever, something or other with you and your wife. And, and now they're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live my life better because of this thing. I'm committing to that because I just paid $10 for this thing. I don't know. I, I think that. Both are really important. Building an audience is incredibly yeah. important, and creating products are is is very important if you're trying to build a business. But the problem is that, like you said, a lot of people really stress out over getting the traffic and building the viral blog posts and that sort of stuff, and they don't spend enough time thinking about what's the underlying problem that I'm solving, how can I package this up into a product or a service. So by talking about that, I think we're just trying to level the playing field because really a successful business needs both. It needs a thriving audience and it needs something that those people want to buy. Um, And online, people just tend to focus on the audience more than the product. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. God, you're so so good at that. (laughs) You're so good at that. Hey, really quick, um, for this podcast episode... When I do the introduction, what should I what should I use for the one that I just recorded? It was singer songwriters, right? Um, we've done every which was great, by the way. Yeah, it's a good one, right? Yep. Or, yeah, I'm glad you like that, Bruce. Um, so, but what should I do on this one? Could you do like uh, Joni Mitchell songs? <laughs> That's a little esoteric, I think. Yeah, that gets a little obscure, but I like it. I like yeah. the direction. What if we were like Radiohead albums? Oh, dude, done and done. Wow, great work. I hope I remember this when I go back and, and listen to it. And by the way, dear listener, we should tell you that Chase is hungry for your ideas about if we were blank, Corbett would be blank, Caleb would be blank, and Chase would be blank. Yeah. Fill in those blanks for Chase. Yeah, so I'm a big blanker. He can use your idea. <laughs> and, and after you used Pacific Rim for one of them, <laughs> yeah. I actually watched that movie. And like the very first time there was, you know, a robot fighting dinosaur <laughs> alien thing, I was like, yeah, I was laughing. God, I still that, was, that was so funny. I loved that. I, I was literally, if you listen to that intro for that one, I don't remember what it's, which one it's for, but I couldn't even get through it. I'm just laughing. <laughs> just laughing. Your host star, Corbett Barr. If this was Pacific Rim, he'd be that one dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> the best is they're not even dinosaurs. God, they're robots. <laughs> they're robots. <laughs> That's good. You haven't seen the movie. Uh, that is that is such a crazy movie. What if? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could do. What if we were? What if we were cigars? Or no, or Radiohead we were... album. Radiohead album. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh yeah, cigars. I'll do that later too. Um, okay, good. Sorry, I just I just needed that little input because you know I'm sitting here in in manic mode trying to trying to write this thing and I'm like drawing blanks half the time. Yeah, you know. Um, okay, so today what I wanted to, to tackle is uh, this 
this thing that's sort of built into the idea of building your own product, and I want us to be very realistic about this, is it might fail. That's one of the biggest roadblocks to so many people doing a product is, oh, I couldn't do that. What if it failed? But normally we don't actually have the self-awareness to say that's why we, we are afraid of doing it. It's mm-hmm. just built in. It's like a primal sort of reaction that like we don't make that thing because then I'll look like an idiot when it, feel, when it fails. You know, uh, and I kind of want to just, I mean, first of all, I think the big tip is just realizing it might fail. This might not work out. You're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. And like Josh Shipp was saying in his interview, what's important about the first one is what you learn, not what you earn. I love how he's our, he's to me is like the resident, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bumper sticker writer. (laughs) <laughs> yes that's what chase was about to say yeah that's what i'm heading towards no what i mean to say is dr phil he's like okay so if you're gonna if you're gonna crawl up that tree sometimes you gotta ask yourself how's it gonna feel to fall i've been dr phil thanks <laughs> you, you know what i mean it's i think what you like just that. said made more sense than a regular dr philism though <laughs> if you're gonna climb up me- that tree you gotta ask yourself what color are the leaves <laughs> You know, just because you're in a tree doesn't mean you got to fall, Corbett. And that's the important thing about being in the South. And that's why I love this place. Go, America. How's that feel? <laughs> Good work, guys. It's oh, just going to get longer and longer. Like it is. It is. It's like, it's like it, the gateway drug was just doing it once, and it just gets longer and yeah. longer, and next thing you know, we're all on We're going to have to cut it when people start like fast-forwarding because they're, they're afraid that the sound cut out. Yeah, the 15-second <laughs> skip on the podcast yeah, app. Exactly. So just the fact that this is failable, that, that it's like it, – it not only – you can fail doing this. First of all, aware, be aware of that. Say it to yourself. Yeah, I, this might not work out, and that's okay. Because nobody cares if it doesn't work well, out. Well, but, but hold on, hold on. Before we start just, like, m- making failure this, like, on or off thing, this binary thing. Yeah, no, give it to me. Give it yeah. to me. So there two things. One is you, you could say it might fail, but we've heard from a lot of people that success wasn't defined in the first week. It was defined after the first three years yep. and they realized this thing was still selling. And if you add up all the sales and then figure I spent a month creating this thing, it sold for three years and sure it didn't make, you know, five or six figures in the opening week, but it did over the following three years. And that's a pretty damn good return on what work I put in for that first month. The other thing is it really just depends on how you define failure in general. Is it, all about revenue. I think you're right in in what you're saying with with Josh. The first time around, it's got to be more about what you l- learn, not necessarily how much you're going to put in your pocket at the end of the day. Um, because a lot of us have those those throwaway stories, those things that we create. In fact, a lot of people that we talk to, and maybe we should have pushed them a little bit harder. I don't think we heard that many failure stories because I heard some people hesitate when we were interviewing them. We said, "Tell us about the first thing you created," and they're like, "The first thing or." The yeah. thing that worked yeah, out. Yeah, lots of that, yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to someone that has a launch of something that is considered a failure to them to get more sales long-term to you know, make it not be a failure anymore? Well, I think the most important thing is the, the post-mortem, the diagnosis. Like, why did this thing not work out? And I think it's really easy to jump to conclusions that, oh, it was just, you know, it was just a crappy product that nobody wants or whatever. But there are a lot of things that you need to look at. You need to look at, first of all, and I, I think we've talked about this in another episode. Um, 17, but, quit, pivot, or persevere. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, so you have to look at 
was there enough of an audience to expect significant sales from this? Like if I just had a hundred people stop by to look at this product and I didn't make any sales or I made one or two sales, that's not a failure. That means that you didn't have a big enough audience looking at the product. So yeah. there might be nothing wrong with the product. Then if you did have enough people come by, like you had uh, you know, a few thousand people come by and you only made a couple of sales, then you have to ask yourself, is it the right audience to begin with? Or are these people that are you know, looking for uh, robot dinosaurs and I'm trying to sell them personal finance advice? Maybe it's just the wrong audience. If you feel like it's the right audience, but they still didn't buy it, then you have to ask yourself, was there a lack of a pain point in the product that I created? Is this not solving a legitimate, tangible problem that somebody actually wants to spend money to fix? Yeah. Um, or was I simply unclear about how I described the product? So maybe the benefit's there, but you're just not conveying it well enough in the design, in the copy, in just the language and the benefits that you spell out on the sales page. Yeah, so here, here's what I, I would actually put a step before the postmortem, though. Yeah, and it's the question about what are your expectations. And right. That's what you. This is what you kind of nailed before. Like, so, so what makes a failure? You sold twenty. You made twenty dollars on launch day, but over the course of the next, you know, three hundred days, you made ten thousand dollars. So is that a failure? Because you only made twenty dollars on launch day, right? So it's ex- expectations like that, which is why. And so maybe, like, can we talk for a second about the expectations you should bring to this thing? But the one that's important to me is look at it over the long term and tr- treat this experience like, uh, like you're the apprentice and this experience is the master. Right to the to the point about Henry Rollins, the iron. Two hundred pounds is always two hundred pounds. Making a product is always making a product. You know what I mean? Just because it feels heavier today doesn't mean two hundred pounds got heavier. You know, so yeah. when you could try to lift this product and let it teach you about where you're weak and where you're strong and this, that, and the other, and let this first experience be about just the learning. Sorry, this metaphor is getting a little convoluted. So what I really mean by that Let's get back to robot dinosaurs. Is what I it, there's there's robots and there's dinosaurs. Corbett, and I'm sick of you trying to combine the two. All right? It's it's badass, American-made robots. Oh. Though there are, is that one Russian one. And I think there's I think a they, Japanese one, too, or South yeah, Korean one. Possibly. Possibly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is America's the best. <laughs> I'm kidding. Isn't I'm there kidding. Like a mech Godzilla? That would be a robot dinosaur. Dude, the reason why I think that movie was so bad... And yet the CGI was so phenomenal. The only way my mind can make sense of that is they're trying to make it like a cheesy Godzilla movie, like like a hat tip to that. Like they're saying, you know what? Was it an intentional B movie or? I think it was intentionally. Like the plot is so. But this was a big. This was a big blockbuster, like expensive, massive. But it's like the cheesiest, most horrible. But I love her. Like plot lines, like no, you can't go without me. But I must. Like these kinds of plot lines. Like well, you that you watch Sharknado and then you tell me if Pacific (laughs) Rim feels like that because that's an intentional B movie. Well, Well, they are remaking Godzilla. Oh, yeah, but gosh. that's going to be like a like a, a big deal, I think. Yeah, yeah, but Pacific Rim. Okay, the last bit. The Pacific Rim. I was so excited because it was Guillermo del, del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. You know, <laughs> hey, terms. sometimes I sometimes I look the bowl down the down the tip of his horns, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to get Guillermo del Toro to. <laughs> damn it! I couldn't even do it. I can't even get through it. The, 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 the vodka Kahlua is like tying up my tongue. Oh. 
Oh, it's the worst. But truly, though, it's Guillermo del Toro is sensational. What an amazing director. Why did he make such a shite movie with the most amazing monsters and robots you've ever seen in your life? That said, when you bring yourself to your product, <laughs> I want you to have higher expectations of yourself, which means, you know what? No, actually, I want you to have the same amount of expectations of yourself. You're probably going to put out a movie with a couple great monsters and a really plotline. And just because you fall out of the tree doesn't mean that it's time to, to buy a new domain name. Oh, so the pause doesn't always work because you can always step in if you're afraid that people are pause blocking you. Can you can just keep talking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've got the so block, we've got the pause block. There's another one. There's another one in there somewhere. Oh, uh, God, what was it? Dear reader, if you could tweet us tweet what us. the other one was. Tweet us. God, that's great. So, but, so, but I, I, listen, I don't want to so, get off track in all this thing. No, and, because, we're, and we're, talk, we're, talking about, we're talking about how uh, you define failure and set your expectations up front. Yes. Like, how do you set your expectations? So, I think that the biggest misalignment between expectations and outcome is when you don't do anything leading up to the launch, and one day you just flip the switch and put the thing out there. So that lets your expectations build to whatever you know, whatever you feel might happen, and then reality yeah. slaps you in the face. A much better way to temper your expectations and to sort of start to let them unfold over time without having this big bang launch approach is to be talking to your audience about this product that's coming out, maybe to pre-sell it, to get people to sign up for a secondary list that says that they're interested in this thing, to do all this stuff to sort of lead up to it so that you kind of know how many people are going to be interested based on you know the interest that, that you've already gotten. Um, that's a great way to temper your expectations so that you don't have a failure on your hands. You're kind of converging at reality um, over time. Yeah, and it, I mean... Tara and Brett today both said as much, you know, about writing about that thing first. Tara included it as a, it was already baked in. She was already writing up to these kinds of people about these kinds of things. And they kept asking her, but what should my blog posts be about? And Brett specifically called out one thing to do is just start writing about the topic to which you're going to make your product for. And, and start sort of letting your audience sort of get, get used to that and see what their feedback is about it. Those are both great ways of figuring out, is this thing going to go over well or not? Which, of course, it, it, so much of what we said in previous episodes was about that, predetermining whether or not this idea is going to be okay or not, right? And Derek specifically said that he made the product that he knew would sell because that's what his audience wanted and not what he wanted to make, which yeah. is sometimes a sacrifice you have to make for your first product or if you really need it to be successful. So for so thinking about this this whole idea of, you know what, it might fail. It might fail. First and foremost, what are your expectations of this thing? Come to it with an open heart, people. That means I want to learn from this thing. And I'm willing to be brave and bold enough to put a page up that says this is for sale for a dollar or twenty dollars or two hundred dollars or whatever. Right? Just realize it it totally takes bravery to get to that point and you're going to be glad you did it later on even if it feels uncomfortable now so i mean yeah that's what i mean i could i could qualify that with a bunch of now don't put things out there and ask you know for someone to buy it even if you don't feel uncomfortable about this thing because it it, it it's not you don't feel that it's actually valuable 
right? Like we don't want you to make something that you don't feel is actually valuable, but we do want you to ship something because once you break that seal and you get your first buck doing this thing, for me, it's always been like, oh my God, I totally know how this works now and I'm going to change these things and do it better this next time. I already know what I want to get. Love it. Ship it. Ship it. Ship this episode. (laughs) Well, hold on. Thinking about this failure stuff, though, um, I don't know. Is there, is there, the original thought was bouncing back from a failure, which Corbett, to your point, it's your big point was do the postmortem. Why was this a quote unquote failure? And again, we have to do the work beforehand to say what makes a failure or not. So, like, were you expecting to get $2,000 on your launch day and you only got 20 bucks? Does that make it a failure? Maybe it makes it a failure on your launch day, but if you look at it over the next four months, it absolutely does not because you made $20,000, you know, by then. Um, so, first of all, observing a- and setting straight some of your expectations. And then, second of all, doing the postmortem. Like, if nobody's actually buying this thing, is it because, A, you don't, like you, the example that you gave, Corbett, like, there was 100 people on the site. That's the only, pe- the, only 100 people have seen this page. That is not a statistically significant sample size, you know? Mm-hmm. And, Corbett, what would you recommend for a postmortem? You do it by yourself? Do you do it with, you know, your mastermind group? Do you do it publicly? Do you do it privately? What do you recommend? I mean, I, I think all of the above. I, the public thing is um, kind of up to the individual, I think. And you want to be careful to you know, make sure that um, it, do, it doesn't make you look like you're completely clueless necessarily. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but definitely with your mastermind group, I would even, that's a great opportunity to reach out and maybe create some new connections with people that you respect that might be able to mentor you a little bit. If you reach out to somebody and say, hey, you know, I'm a big fan. I know we haven't talked much, but I just launched this thing and it was a huge flop. Um, and I'm feeling really down about it. I'd love to spend 10 minutes on Skype with you if you if you could spare it to talk about why this thing failed and, and what you think I could have done differently. Like that might be a great way to start a new relationship, actually. Um, mastermind group. And then, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't uh, I would do it internally to start with. And then I would reach out to those different people. All right, so thinking back on this whole series, we've tackled a handful of issues going from, you know, what's my idea? What's the the thing that I should make to what should I charge and then how to market and sell that thing? What should I be thinking about conversion, et cetera? And then finally, what if this thing fails? You know, given all of that stuff and all of the, again, like our little, I, I really do feel like our little quips at the end of these things, even though there's some good points in there, what we're basically doing is summarizing our favorite bits from the interviews that you've heard. We've got, I think, 14 or 15 people that you've heard some at the, heard from at this point. And these are real, serious entrepreneurs online supporting themselves and their families, making things that they care about. And there, I, I don't know if you how you guys feel, but I mean, to me, it's like this. This is some of the. I wish I would have had this a year ago. Yeah, I wish I would have just. I mean, everyone really wants to hear everyone's mistakes. They want to hear what they wish they would have known. You know, that's one of our most popular podcast episodes. Is the what I wish yeah. I would have known. So, is it really? Yeah, downloads wise, yeah, it's one of the oh. top, if not the top. Um, since Which episode? Up. What's the number on that? I think sixteen. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. So it's it's great to hear these types of things because people are candid about the mistakes that they've made. 
so you can potentially avoid them but at the same time you also need to hear what they did know and what they did do and so those are the parts of these interviews that i think are even more valuable yeah because like brett was just saying in this episode he did a lot of things wrong he said or a lot of things that he could have done but didn't do but it ended up being okay because he had a good product and he did some of the things right that he needed to do to be successful so i don't think that you need to always just focus on focus on not making mistakes you can just focus on doing a few things well and that should be enough yeah and so let think about this because i'm going to tell mine first but you guys it, looking back on all of this if you had to give just one piece of advice to someone listening who's like i'm ready to make my thing but i'm scared and what 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 if you could give them one piece of advice what would it be okay so be thinking about that Here's my advice, or my my favorite piece of advice from some of our people who have talked. Um, it's this idea that you know, Brett Brett said it really well. Like, if I would have, you know, I, I screwed up so much about the launch, about the thing, and yet the product still sold well and still sells to this day. You know, he's in he's in four point You know, if that he's from one He's made two, three, and four Right, so he's done three iterations on this thing. It's still selling. He says he screwed up the launch day and all this other stuff, and he's had made a lot of errors along the way, like sending out the emails to the wrong people and having huge. We know a little bit about what it's like to have a, a huge, massive email screw up, but um, he's so he's had that stuff, and still people buy his product. Why? Because the work that he did and the reputation that he's built around the work that he's done has been strong. It's good. It stands up on its own. And so that would be my thing. Make something good over time. So give yourself a little bit of break. Like like Jenny Blake said about the pressure, she put so much pressure on herself that she just she just wasn't able to ship the final thing. Mm-hmm. So take the pressure off. Realize it's going to get better over time. Be brave enough just to say, yep, I'm going to do it this day. Have it out by that day uh, and start talking about it now to grow your audience there. What what would you say, Caleb? Mine would be from Leo, which is you are convincing people to buy something before you ever have anything to sell based on consistently delivering value to them over many, many months and years. And if you put out something, you know, one of your fans, it might not be for them, but maybe the next thing will be. And so, you know, making sales doesn't just happen on your sales page. Um, unless it's like a completely fresh lead from someplace uh, like on Twitter or a link on some guest post. And that's the first time they heard of you, but the majority of your sales are probably going to come from your existing audience, people on your email list, people that have been fans of you for a while. So you earn the trust in sales over time, not just at a single event. All right, Corbett. Yeah. And I'd say, um, don't think about your product creation as this one single event pair back your expectations and the requirements for the product that you've placed on yourself. Pair back both of those things, maybe by half, for the first go-around and just commit to evolving that thing over time and getting better over time. So put something out there, learn from it, and then adapt and improve it and relaunch it. And don't spend months or six months or a year or whatever building your first product because there's just too much risk that the thing that you put out isn't going to um, isn't going to delight your audience in the way that you're hoping to, and the only way to learn that is by putting something out sooner. 
Okay, so each one of us said basically the same thing. Allow this to take time. Look at it over the long-term view, not about just one single day and then judging yourself black or white based on the results from that day. I mean, why, why is that the one thing that we're saying? Anybody have any insights there? I think it's just because the, the likelihood of somebody getting crushed by this idea that they're going to you know, put something out and it's going to be the thing that supports them for years to come is just so high if they, if they yeah. put all their eggs in that one basket. So if we think about the goal here is for you to be an entrepreneur over the next decade so that you can find the thing that does support you. And the biggest risk overall in being an entrepreneur isn't some little failure in you know the first product that you put out or whatever. It's that you quit altogether because you have some catastrophic failure, or at least in your mind you have some catastrophic failure. So just you know, take it down a notch and um, try to win the overall war, which is that you're going to build something as an entrepreneur that's worthwhile and solves people's problems in the world so that they'll pay you enough to earn a living from it um, instead of trying to win each and every little battle. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. All right, I have been Chase Wardman-Reeves. I've been Corbett Barr. And I've been Caleb Robot Dinosaur Logic. <laughs> Make a product that you're proud of, and that you, you, which which means go find something you're interested in, and I don't know, care, whatever, vodka, care. <laughs> so there you have it. I really like that last quote from Corbett. I'm going to give it back to you here again in a second. But first. Our thanks to Brett and Tara for your stories. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, to find out more about Brett and Tara, just go to fizzleshow.co slash 38. F-I-Z-Z-L-E show.co slash 38. Everything you're looking for from this episode is on that page, including a link to that Stephen Pressfield Sticking Points article, which is so good. If you like this, Please leave us an honest rating in iTunes. It doesn't cost you much. and It means the world to us because it helps other hopeful entrepreneurs find this show. Simply search for the show in the iTunes store and click write a review. I'll leave you with uh, that great quote from Corbett. Here it is. The goal here is for you to be an entrepreneur over the next decade. The biggest risk isn't some little failure. The biggest risk is that you quit altogether. So take it down a notch and don't lose the whole war over one little battle. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. I really hope you liked this first product podcast series here at The Fizzle Show. Jump online and let us know what you think. Thanks. Talk to you next Fizzle Friday.